As we continue this this conversation with tribal, we just started it last week. Let me let me give a little bit of an explanation for this word. It's an unusual word to use in church, is it not? And it has evoked uh, some great conversations. Those that are like, ah, oh, man, I love this. To those like, no, I'm not. I'm trying to wrap my head around this. I like to use words that cause people to think. I like to use words that are outside the realm of the words that we normally use. For example, when you say the word discipleship in the church culture, it can mean many different things, and it does mean many different things. Some people may think, oh, that means it's a Sunday school class or a Bible study or whatever that might be, and I get that. And And it truly is all those things. But when we talk about discipleship, we specify it to say it's one-to-one small circle a relationship discipleship so that there's no wiggle room that we know that we're going for that Paul, Timothy, Elijah, Elisha, Moses, Joshua uh, uh, dynamic. For example, our small group leaders are, are not called small group leaders. They're called catalyst because we we give them that title because they're not just getting together with a group of people and sticking a DVD in and pressing the play button. They're, they're catalyzing relationships. They're agents of change, and that's our expectation. Um, they, they're in their own group. They're, they're trying to uh, connect and link people together so that those relationships can continue. So when it comes to the church culture, there's, there are actually some words I like to avoid. In and of themselves, intrinsically, there's nothing wrong with those words, and some of those words are biblical words. But you know, over time, because we've used them in so many different ways, they, they kind of lack that, that, that sense of clarity for us because they're so widely spread. And so for that reason, I, there are words like fellowship. You don't hear me say very often because that can range from like, hey, we're really getting a close relationship to we're having a, a church dinner, and it can mean that just a million different things. That's the reason I'm using the word tribal to when people say when I hear that it has evoked conversations like, oh, great. Even if they're a little uncomfortable, I'm like, that's great, because what we're trying to get here with tribal is that like tribes around the world that we're trying to say, let's get beyond just this this superficial, shallow relationship and try to get in with a band of other people and grow and have responsibility to, to each other and grow in that, that, that depth, that dynamic. And for that reason, we, we've been, uh, we're, we will and have been looking at some tribes around the world and we'll get more and more into that, including today. This is a conversation that I hope that will move you wherever you are in our, in our church. That, that maybe you're just coming in, maybe you're new, maybe you're brand new, maybe in a few months, maybe in five years, doesn't matter, that it will move you closer into being tribal. Last week we looked at a question of like why are we having this conversation in the first place? And we, and we recognize that we are made in the image of God and, and when God made us, He said, let us make a man in our image that we know that He's relational to begin with. And that He, at His very core, He's relational. So every living thing that He has made reflects His relational nature, even a tree. A tree doesn't just stay by itself. It makes other trees and it makes a grove of trees. So it reflects a, a, a God who is just, he's a multiplier and he, and he's a, he's tribal in nature, so to speak. He makes community of things. Fishes are fish. Is it fishes? Fishies. Fishies swim in schools. 
buffalo run in herds and cows hang out in herds. And so the things that he made, nothing stands by itself except sometimes human beings. And he's made us in such a way that when we are being tribal, when we are being community, we look more like God. That's why we're doing this, by the way. Not only that, we studied last week that it makes us healthier spiritually, emotionally, physically to hang out with other people. That when we become lonely, it really uh, it really does something to our interior because God hasn't designed us to be lonely and to be loners. And finally, we have a better shot at rounding out spiritually when we're hanging out with other people. I think I can become really spiritual when I'm just hanging out with myself, reading the Bible and all that, but it's other people that point out my blind spots. And I'm more apt to grow in those weaker areas of my life if I'm willing to swim with the other fish, if I'm ready to willing to run with the other buffalo. So today I thought, as another means of introduction, and then week by week we get into specifics, but as a means of introduction, I'm a firm believer that no one will act on anything. I don't care what it is. If you're going to eat differently, if you're going to go to the gym, if you're going to start cleaning your office, whatever that thing is, nobody acts on anything unless it starts in their thinking, in their mindset. It's when we look in the mirror and we say to ourselves, we have that moment like, man, I got to start working out. And, and you've decided already before you went. Nobody just happens upon a gym and say, hmm, that's weird. I just got here. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't thinking about it, but I, somehow I just kind of drove. I was driving around and, and uh, all of a sudden, wow, it's kind of weird. I've got I've got iron coming toward my chest. And I'm I, I don't No, Of course not. We think before we do. Is it, Would you agree with that? And for that reason, if we are indeed find it valuable that we are going to look more like God, that we'll be healthier and we'll round out spiritually because we're going to be tribal, then we have to have a tribal mindset. That's our topic for today. We're going to have to think like, okay, how do I get that? Because some of you may say, okay, I'm not quite convinced. Other Others may say, I am convinced, but how do I amp it up in my thinking? And I believe today there are practical ways that we can do that. I was thinking about some of the definitions that we have uh, for tribal because um, sometimes it's, it's difficult to explain a new word. And I, and I thought... Um, Today, I, I'm going to start with a very honest statement, and I and I, it is never my intention to offend people. It's a hobby; I love it, but it's not. I'm just kidding. It's my job as the pastor of a church. Unless you want somebody to tell you nice stories, and you know all, everybody feels good and all that, but that's that's really not living out what a pastor is called to do. A shepherd's called to do. A shepherd nudges at times. A shepherd, you know, with the rod and staff, there's sometimes there's a little nudge here. And and because it's all about movement, is it not? When we're growing spiritually, there are times where we have to be nudged. We have to be out. There needs to be a few ouchies once in a while. And uh, sometimes I might step on your toes. I might even sprain an ankle uh, here from time to time. So it, I, I'm just, uh, I'm on the clock, so to speak. So uh, bear with me because I'm doing, I'm doing God's work when I, or perhaps nudge you, here's what I'd like to say to you. It is possible to be in a tribe, but not be tribal. It is possible to be in a boat and not be rowing. I've been there before. I've been that guy in the back of the seat who's, you know, I'm only rowing when people are looking, otherwise I'm eating my peanut butter sandwich. You know what I'm talking about? It is possible 
for us to be in a tribe and not be tribal. There's a guy in my gym, and uh, when I walk in, I see him every morning. I, I, I go to the gym nearly every morning, and uh, I see him. And I don't know why they put cushy chairs, you know, in the, in the gym, but they got this cushy chair right as you walk in the door. And this guy sits there, and I, he never lifts a weight. I've never seen him get on a treadmill. And uh, so there's two mysteries. Like, why is he there? That's the first mystery. Like, why would you come to a gym and not work out? And the second more profound mystery is, why is that man wearing cleats? It is a mystery, dude. Uh, you know, when I look, he, he's actually wearing cleats. He comes to the gym not to work out, but to sit in a cushy chair with cleats. One of these days, I'm going to get the nerve to say, hey, man, you know, no pressure or anything. But I just wondered, you know, just wondering. Why the cleats? You know, so if I don't show up on a Sunday morning, you'll know I have had the courage to ask the guy in the cushy chair why he's wearing cleats. He'll probably kick me with them and then I'll die or something. There's pictures that I think help us understand what we're aiming for, a tribal. And I saw this picture this week. I got a, f- a good friend here. I saw him earlier this morning. He's, he's into crew, you know, the long boats with a lot of people that are rowing all that. And I saw this picture. I'm like, wow, man, now there's a great picture of tribal. If you're still trying to understand, man, what is it? What are you talking about? What I'm talking about is being with a band of others. There's nobody in either one, in any of these boats that's just sitting there. They're rowing, but they're not just rowing, man. They're rowing with everything they got. Look at the, like the third one back. The guys in the black shirts. Look at the guy in the middle, man. Look at those muscles, dude. Those guns. I'm, I'm jealous. He's like, wow. You know, he's got his mouth like, oh, open like that. The effort, and they're all wearing the same garb and all the same, you know, uh, uh hats and the, they got colored boats and all that. I mean, it's, it looks so amazing, doesn't it? I look at them like, if you, if you're missing what I'm saying about tribal, there's a picture of it. Then I saw this cartoon. And I thought this, this really says that a boat doesn't go forward if each one is rowing their own way. It's part of being tribal. See, there's nobody in there saying, hey, I just think I'll do, you know, something fancy, something like this. There, everybody's like, whoosh, and there's that guy that sits in the front, you know, and he's, uh, he or she's telling them what to do. They're screaming like, go, or one, two, three, or whatever they're screaming in there. And a lot of times, man, they're all wearing the same, the same outfits and same uniforms, so they're all together. And, and so some of you are like, okay, I'm still trying to catch what you say. Well, here's a picture for you that will get it for you. That's what I'm talking about. I like the little mini Darth Vader in the front. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing right there. I saw this, uh, this, this quote from a guy that's in the, in, in crew. He was one of the leaders and he said this quote. He said this, you, you throw up before you pass out. You pass out before you die and if you die, we'll name a boat after you. <laughs> that's their mantra. That's the spirit of being in a tribe. Everybody's rowing. There's nobody sitting at the back eating a peanut butter sandwich. Everybody's in. Everybody's like, go, go. Go, and that's how you advance a cause. It's always with a tribe. You look at the, you look at the Bible, beginning in the Old Testament, God's always said, hey, we're gonna accomplish something, but we're gonna put a tribe together. You look at the entire Old Testament, it's, we're tracking the entire time the nation of Israel, which was divided into twelve what? Tribes. God said, we're gonna, we're gonna accomplish this thing through tribes. 
And then we come to the New Testament. And the very first thing Jesus does when he launches his public ministry, he creates a tribe of 12 guys. And they're hanging out 24-7. We did a math on this one time. Let's say he's awake eight, uh, with these guys eight to ten hours a day, let's say. And, it, and it's three and a half years every single day of the week. We did the math and it came out to a, a zillion hours. And if, as we roll right now, if we do our small groups, you know, our little tribes here in 360, we do them every other week, it would take us like 156 years to, to equalize what they did in three and a half years. So yes, he was only here three and a half years, but he supersized it. He got a tribe and he hung with them in a very tight way. And then Peter and Paul and John and James, the founders of the early church came along and said, we're going to create tribes. They're going to be called ecclesia. That means local churches, local bodies of believers, not just the big body of Christ, but local tribes. That's who we are. That's who you are today. So I'm interested when I look at the Bible and I see all these things and I, and I saw this, I'm studying this one tribe and they said, here's the difference between a tribe and not a tribe. And here's the words, the comparison, either an intimate community versus impersonal association. You see, a tribe is intimate community. Doesn't mean you can know everybody sitting in this room, but we move towards that. See, I'm an introvert. I do impersonal association very well. I don't know about you. I can be very kind, very nice, but it can be impersonal and have the like, hey, how's it going? Great. But I think God calls us to a different level. Would you agree? He calls us to this level because that's when we're going to sense the jazz. That's when we're going to look like God. That's when the needle is going to move. That's when we can move a cause. That's when we're really going to become more like Christ. And that's when we're going to spiritually grow. We can try and try and try as hard as we can to accomplish that through impersonal association. And it just doesn't work. Let me give you one more comparison before we jump in the, in the Bible. I can't, I can't avoid it. I seem to, I can't get away from this image of the Pro Bowl. And so, um, uh, today is the Super Bowl, right? Uh, how many, I, I, I honestly tried last week. I did. I cut on the Pro Bowl. Uh, after about 12 minutes, like, dude, I can't tell. How many people watched the Pro Bowl last week? See, that's what I'm talking about. I got one guy in the back. I'm not even sure about you, man. Did you want, really? Okay. So, uh, did anybody make you watch it? Or, okay. <laughs> Nobody. How many guys, how many people are gonna watch the Super Bowl today? You see the diff? You know what the difference is? The difference is the story is a lot interesting. It's a lot more interesting. So, I'm watching the, I'm watching the Pro Bowl last week, and, and I'm looking at the bleachers. Look at all that orange. And I thought, well, it's only the beginning of the game. And I tuned in a little bit later. Same amount of empty chairs. See, in, in the entire world, only 8 million people watch this game, the Pro Bowl. Because, see, there's no tribal story. I mean, they're being so nice to each other. Even the way they tackle, it's just like, hey, how's it going? They just kind of like stick an arm out. Hey. And then they tackle and they help the guy up. I'm like, gosh, it's like cocktail hour, you know, with a football. It just doesn't make sense. There's no tribal like, ugh, and nobody cares about this game. Compared to the Super Bowl, only 8 million people watch this, see the Super Bowl. 118 million. are Because, see, tribal stories are much more interesting. 
They're two tribes coming together. And so I've seen all these, these advertisements come down. You know, fifth, fifth, this big Super Bowl 50, right? The countdown begins. I didn't see anything like that with the Pro Bowl, you know? Only, you know, where they should be like, the Pro Bowl, it's over. Or something like that. I don't know. And because it's the 50th one, I mean, they're just like really amping it up. So there's 50 coins. If you go to the next slide, there's, there, there, there's like 50, here are the 50 coins that have been flipped in the, in the Super Bowl. Here are 50 rings. And, and, uh, and then the next one, this is the, uh, this is kind of the logo for this year. The countdown begins. You know, there's this big energy. And then I, I'm going to show you a film here in just a second. I want you to think about the, the, the energy and all the, the anticipation for the, that's being built up the Super Bowl 50 because it's tribal in nature. There, the, the people have a favorite team. I've been asked a dozen times this week, who's your tribe? Who's your team? Who are you, who are you voting for? I'm like, well, I, you know, I, well, anyway, so watch this. I'm not watching that. You feel the energy in it? We're going to get them next year. I tell you, Super Bowl 51, Patriots in. We're going to get them. uh, We're going to have this sense of, of like, I can't wait-ness. And I think because of the mindset that they have, the tribal mindset, and you think it it comes from something, because here's the deal. Here's our job today. I believe... That we can adjust our thinking. We can't change a lot sometimes about circumstances in the world, but we can change our thinking. And when we change our thinking, it changes our actions. And when we change our actions, things can happen in the world. So I'm comparing the difference between the Pro Bowl and the, and the Super Bowl. And there are four things that come up to me. I'm like, see, here's the difference. And I believe that these differences, as we're going to see in the scripture today, They can change our mind if you recalibrate around these four elements. Here they are, four elements that can catalyze a tribal mindset. Because you may think, okay, I'm not quite there, or how do I amp it up? Do I read more about it? Do I watch more inspirational movies? Nope. I think these four things can help change your mind. First of all, there's a predicament. There's tension. There's tension in every great story. Whether it's a movie, whether it's a sports event, whether it's a, a, a novel, doesn't matter. There's, there's a predicament this afternoon. There's a predicament of two teams coming together. There's a clear purpose. We want to win the game. There's opposition. Uh, of course, there's another team and there's, and there's a shared win. Now let's leave them up here for a second. I don't know if you've ever noticed before, but when you watch humans, when there's a predicament, there was an earthquake in Taiwan just, just in the last few days. Do you see the tribal mindset come to life? 
When there's an earthquake, when there's a hurricane, when there's a tornado, when there's a 911, it's marvelous to watch human beings in that moment. Because we love to rally at the time of predicament. It causes our mind to change. It causes us to say, man, I want to get, I want to kick into the game. You see, as Christians, we must realize that there's a predicament out there, which we'll talk about today. But if we're really easy with the predicament, we're like, well, I'm not sure I'm going to church. I'm kind of happy. And you know, I just came for some inspiration. Then our, our mindset won't be tribal. We won't be like, we won't be doing backflips into the end zone. We'll be like, ah, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's kind of pro bowlish. But if we can engage our mind and say, man, there's a predicament. And if I can wrap my mind around that predicament, then it might cause you like those in a hurricane and tornado and natural disasters and all that to engage at a higher level. See, if you're sitting here today, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm, I, 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 I want to engage. That's where you would start. That's where you would start and say, man, if you don't want to engage in, into a tribal community, then you would have to ask yourself the question, maybe I don't want to be like God as much as I thought I would. It's a tough question. Clear purpose. You know, you, you know the, uh, the, the, he's well known now as the Desert Fox. He was a, a, a Nazi general in World War II. Uh, his name was Rommel. And Rommel uh, was called the Desert Fox because he can move troops across the desert at a lightning speed and, and surprise the Allied troops, our Allied troops. And the reason, the, the way that he was able to do this was with clear purpose. He engaged people's minds because the mindset of the troops was beginning to sag. They're out there in the desert. They're crossing over the desert in tanks, the German forces. And they, they didn't see any milestones. There was nothing to look at. And they began, as anybody would, they were just, they kind of lost interest. Sometimes we can do that as a church. Nowhere to look at. And I'm like, okay, we know without a vision, people perish and all that. It's like we, we can So here's what he did. Brilliant. He set up every so many miles, these oil t- tanks, you know, the oil, oil ba- barrels, and put this massive red flag in this oil ba- barrel. And what he would tell the, the leaders of his, uh, the tank drivers, just drive as fast as you can to the next red flag. I'm going to give you a clear purpose. You don't know how many flags there are. You don't know how long we're going to travel. We're going to travel miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. But you just head with everything you can like to an end zone. You just head right for that red flag. And that's how they did it. One clear purpose after the next. Brilliant. Without that, without a clear understanding of where we're going to go, then we lose sight of a mindset. We're like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm just kind of coming to church on Sunday morning. You understand? Not only that, not only the predicament, clear purpose, but opposition. Some people run from opposition. But have you ever noticed, you look at the, you look at the, what we would call the great wars, like the great World War One and World War Two. When you look at how Britain, who was really an underdog, and how uh, Churchill led that nation, not to fight harder first, not to train better, but to change their mind. He spoke to their mindset first. He under, he said, this, this enemy that we have, it's real. And this enemy is coming towards us. So we better wake up and smell the coffee and engage. And he engaged an entire nation, but it started with their minds. You see, we have a real enemy, by the way. It's not the government. It's not the institutions. There's a, there's an enemy behind all the world and his name is Satan. And I know that's intense for a lot of people and they, whoa, is that like sci-fi? No, it is real as the nose on your face. 
And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I lose sight of that in all the busyness. I lose sight of that in all the churchiness. I lose sight of that in all the comfort sometimes. And when I think to myself, and I really engage like, we are in warfare here. And we are in a kingdom, a kingdom of light versus a kingdom of darkness. And it is our job. And when we engage in that, there's something that happens in our minds like, don't let yourself go. Don't let yourself uh, sag behind. Don't let, don't let your mind lag. And, and, and so that, that engages us as we're going to see in the scripture today. And finally, there's a shared win. Today, somebody will have a trophy. Of course, someone will have the agony of defeat. Someone will have the luxury of Gatorade dumped all, uh, all over them. That is the triumph. You see, there is this, there is this sense of, of the shared wind that just brings people together. Have you ever been on a, 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 like, a, 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 like a, a team where you've won something together? Man, it feels awesome, right? You're hugging their grown men crying and hugging each other and then the afterwards over. Okay, that was a little bit much, you know, all that stuff. Because it makes a difference. And if we lose sight of the shared wind, then we lose our momentum. So I went on a vacation not too long ago. We decided to have a real adventure, so we played mini-golf and um, putt-putt. And uh, so we're playing putt-putt, and for some reason I got voted scorekeeper. I hate keeping score and 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 that stupid game. I just go and say it a lot. I, I you know, you got that little card and you got that little mini pencil that I, I swear it doesn't have any lead hardly in it, you know. And you you could use a stick and it'd be more effective. And so you everybody, you know, you got four of us and like, okay, you know, what'd you get? Okay, what'd you get? And then you're trying to keep up with, it and you got it. You know, lost the pencil and you go get a big go. It's just a hassle. And so then you get about three holes ahead and then you forgot to write it all down then everybody starts cheating you know it's like then you start arguing that's where the adventure starts like you didn't get a two on the last one then it's like who really cares it's not a big deal in life but all of a sudden you really care about putt-putt you've been there i'm just relating with you (laughs) and somewhere around hole seven i'm like you know i'm not taking score and so then i uh, they're cheating i start lying i'm like i lost the card i don't know where it is it's actually in the trash cans where it is (laughs) and there's something that happened to us along the way when we were keeping score, I was really trying. But I watched our little tribe, my little family, that when I'm like, oh, I lost the car, I don't know what happened to it, you know, I'm lying, I threw the car away. There's something happened that instantly on hole 8 and 9 and 10 and 11, 12, 13, 14, like, good grief, how many holes are there in this thing, right? All of a sudden, we didn't care. We didn't care. And now we're doing trick shots, you know, hey, how about a la polo stuff? You know, hey, how through the legs? We don't even, who's keeping, nobody's keeping score. Got a question for you. Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you that our team wins? The team called Christianity, Christ team. Does it matter to you? Man, it's a question you might ask yourself on the way home. Does it really matter to me? What does winning even look like? I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like God. It always looks like God. The more we look like God, the more we win. Because, see, the culture is looking on the inside. And if we don't look like God, there's no tribal story. It's like the Pro Bowl, man. There's no point to it. There's no predicament. See, if we look like there's not a predicament, if we look like there's no clear purpose, if we look like there's no win to go for, if we look like there's no opposition, like it's not really bothering us, and we look like the the Pro Bowl, and we're just doing like nice tackles, and we're picking, you know, all that up, or we're doing that, it's not an interesting story. Watch and 
the bleachers will be empty. We must engage. So, for a picture for us today, I've chosen a man named Nehemiah. Many of you know him if you know the Bible. In fact, I'm not going to move anywhere else in the Bible today. So if you brought your Bible, it's a good day that to have brought it. Otherwise, it, the verses will be up on the screen. We're going to plant ourselves in the book of Nehemiah here as we close out. What an incredible picture of a man who cared. What an incredible picture, listen, who had a, of, of a man who had a choice not to care. You see... For a brief history, if I, if I might, if you don't know this story, just, and if you do, just bear with me for, for 60 seconds here. God was tracking all through the, through the, the Old Testament with one particular nation, the nation of Israel. And he kept trying to get them to be in community with him, to walk with him, to be in rhythm with him, and they kept blowing it. They kept trying to be self-sufficient. I'm sure you guys don't know anything about that. Self is independent and, and, and you know, self-made man and all, all that stuff. And God kept trying to draw them back until one point in time he said, you know what, I'm going to have to put you in time out. That promised land that I gave to you, that promised land that you fought for, all, all, all that, uh, that I'm going to have to take it away from you uh, temporarily. And I've got to, I'm trying to send a message because I love you. I just can't let it keep going like this because it's just going to be awful. So he used Persian armies and Assyrian armies, Babylonian armies, and they, they came in at different times in history. And ultimately, though, they, they, they removed the people. They took them as, uh, 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 kidnapped them and, and, and exiled them, and they took them to other parts of the world. And, and, and the, the city of Jerusalem, the one that God had promised where his heartbeat really was for so many years, it just lay in shambles because of the armies who came in. And so now here's this guy, his name is Nehemiah. And it wasn't really uh, exactly like Israel and Egypt where they were slaves and it was just absolutely torturous because we find out that Nehemiah actually had a pretty good position in the government. And so it could have been very tempting for him not to care because, see, there were 800 miles from him and Jerusalem. And distance can cause us distance in time, distance in history, distance in community, distance in people. It can cause us to like, man, eh, whatever, it's not affecting me. I got a good job, in fact. I got a roof over my head, I got my family, I'm pretty good. He, most people would have said, gosh, it's, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that Jerusalem is not doing well. There were a couple of guys that had been, that God had sent earlier, uh, uh, Zerubbabel and Ezra, and they had gone in earlier before when you're reading the, the history, and they'd gone in and they said, man, we can't take this. We gotta restructure and build the temple. That was a sacred sp- space of God. But now, now watch. It, it, it doesn't mean anything to us so much, but it did back in the day. You see, Jerusalem and the temple, it was an image to be, to, send, to be sent to the world. Because when Solomon built that temple, you remember that people came from all over and marveled at what God did. You see, it was the reputation of God that was at stake. May I say to you today, this is the predicament of Team Jesus. It's not our reputation. I, I quite frankly don't care what people think of me. It's the reputation of our leader, Christ. And that's the thing in our mind that we must say, man, it matters. It's got to matter to us what the world thinks of Christ. 
And the way that they know Christ is they look in on us. And when they look in on us, the more we look like Christ, the better it is for him. And so what was happening is that this, the whole temple, which were, represented kind of the, the branding, the image of God and his presence and his strength, had gone into shambles. And, and Zerubbabel and Ezra came back and they, they built up the temple. But the problem was in any city, it was only protected by a wall around it. And that wall had been destroyed. And if the wall is not up, then other troops are going to come in. This is where we come in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah gets the word. He could have stayed put, but he didn't. Watch this. He went over by himself to look at what had happened, to look at the predicament. But he understood that he couldn't lead from a distance. He understood that he couldn't have stayed where he was, 800 miles away, and said, man, I can fix this thing. I can just hire some pros. He understood that nothing that God ever does in this world is done by one individual. Nothing. He understood that we're going to need a tribe. We're going to need a team. We're going to need some people in the boat that are willing to row at the same time. We're going to need some people who are willing to dive with all their passion and flip over into an end zone. We're not going to need pro bowl players here, man. I'm going to need some super bowl players. And if I'm going to get super bowl players, then what I've got to do is I've got to inspire them. I'm going to inspire them to think differently. And so he goes all by himself, and then he gets just a few guys. It always just starts with a few. Business people call them influencers. They're like, man, you got to get somebody to buy into what you're doing, and then they'll influence others. Watch. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Not only does he paint a predicament for them, but he personalizes the predicament. Watch. He, he writes in first person. Nehemiah says, then I said to them, the, the new tribe, he says, you see the trouble we are in. This is our problem. This is our God. This is our church. This is our tribe. This is the reputation of our God. It's not somebody else's God. It's not the church down the street. It's not the church across the, the Atlantic Ocean. This is our tribe right here. He personalizes it. You see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. And he says, if we go and fix it, then we will no longer be in disgrace. That was the predicament. I'm broken today. I'm broken over the reputation of God's church. I'm broken over the reputation of, of God and how we've painted God in, in this world. In fact, I have committed my life to it, to work hard. People look, say, you ask my wife, man, the guy's driven. I am driven. I'm driven because I'm broken over the reputation of God's church and of the reputation of, of Christ himself. And I do a lot of things wrong, trust me. I fail at a lot, but I will tell you this. I will go to the grave playing Super Bowl with Super Bowl passion for the reputation of our God. I will. And that's where Nehemiah was at. He said, oh, man, you see the trouble we're in. He personalized it. Now, I've been studying tribes, by the way. And I, I was looking at this tribe, Potawatomi tribe. It was a tribe of Native American uh, uh, a Native American tribe that it was located where uh, where Mississippi now is located, and there was this this fierce uh, and dedicated uh, 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 tribal chief. His name was Tecumseh. Tecumseh paints a picture like Nehemiah, because see, they were not when when they were attacked uh, uh, eventually. 
Tecumseh stepped up and said, it's not just about this land. It's about our, it's about our heritage. It's about those who came before us. It's about those who fought before us. It's about our pride. It's about our tribal pride, our tribal reputation. And he stood up and he said, we're going to stand with everything we can. He had a Super Bowl passion for his tribe and he's gone down in the history books for it. See, I love guys like this who understand there's a predicament and there's something that comes up in them. This past Thursday night, I was a guest speaker at the Salvation Army. And I watched these guys. They're in a program. I watched these guys. You want to talk about tribal? Oh, my goodness. It's open every Thursday night, by the way, if you want to go watch commencement service. You want a vivid picture of tribal? Because, see, these guys, they have a shared predicament. They're all trying to to overcome this addiction in their life. So I'm standing there. They have a worship service that's just off the chart. They cut down the lights. They put on a CD. It's like rock concert level decibels. And man, they just ain't nobody afraid of, of, of worshiping before the Lord. So, I mean, they're going on and on. I didn't know when I was going on to speak. But, I mean, we're like in the fifth and sixth song. And then there's this guy that works for the Salvation Army. He leans over while it's really loud. And he gets right up in my ear. And this new, this sixth song was playing. And he leans in my ear. He says, hey, watch what happens on this next song. I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't know what's coming down. It was a more softer song than the, the other ones. It was a slower song. And each of these guys, the, the room was packed. I mean, we're, we're talking packed, guys and gals. They, won, they, they, they formed like two or three big circles in the room. Boom, boom, arms locked. Men, grown men, many of them look pretty rugged, man. And they're like leaning back and forth and they're singing and they're weeping. And I'm standing there with them like, wow, wood to God. Wood to God. The ch- people would look into the church and see that kind of tribal passion. Oh, man, it would be, we'd have more bleachers filled. We'd have more bleachers filled. And we could change, we could charge four million dollars for a commercial that's 30 seconds too, I guess. There was a clear purpose in Nehemiah. He said, hey, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna build a wall. It's in Jerusalem. There's a definite GPS spot for it. And when we finish, there will be a wall that everybody can touch. There's sometimes when we lose sight of, man, we got a clear purpose, a clear vision, then you'll lose sight of where you're going. Watch this. Nehemiah 2, 17, the second half. He says, come, watch how he personalizes. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. Notice that he didn't say, hey, I tell you what, let's get together and study what it might look like if we did build a wall. Um, I tell you what, let's get into the original languages of what wall means and uh, really dig down deep. You know, I heard one of my favorite pastors say, you know, he's, he was talking to his son, say, hey, go clean your room. And he said, now, what if my, my son came back and said, you know what? I, I, I actually have been praying for an hour about cleaning my room. Uh, well, that's probably not going to catch it. Um, and, and then he comes back after another hour and says, you know what? I've been studying how different people around the world have been cleaning their rooms. Still haven't cleaned your room. And then he comes back this, after the third hour and says, hey, you know what? I got good news. I know what cleaning the room is in Greek. I can tell you what it means in Greek. Of course, the dad's going to say, don't just clean the room. 
This is not about concepts. It's not about concepts of, a, of some kind of, you know, magical wall. They're real. You see, the thing that excites me about this tribe is that we're not talking about discipleship only. We're actually doing it. We're not talking about learning how to be tribal in small groups and have difficult conversations. They're actually happening. We don't have disciples only. We have disciple makers and disciple makers who are making disciples. Disciples who used to be disciples who are now disciple makers making disciples. I bet you I couldn't say that twice in a row. In other words, we have a clear goal of what spiritual success looks like. You know what happens when people have a clear purpose? Okay, let's go. This is what they said to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, second half. They replied, okay, you personalize it. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. When I'm reading about this guy, this Indian chief, this American, uh, Native American chief, Tecumseh, watch, these are the words that were written in the history books. Tecumseh advocated a great tribal confederation to defend what territory they had left. Hey, can I say something to you? When I think about what we've covered here, that there's a predicament, that there's a clear purpose. Here's what can often happen in in an environment. I'm a leader. I get a lot of input. If you if you if you want to be a leader and you're not open to input, then you know you shouldn't be a leader. And so there's uh, good or bad. It just happens. You have to have a thick skin, and uh, and a thick pillow that you can just scream into once in a while. But sometimes what will happen is like, man, I'm not really feel connected. You know, not getting connected. And then I'll, I will always say, hey, tell me what how you're rowing. What are you doing to get more connected? Now, I know that we're all on different levels, and, and let me make a, com- a confession here. I'm an introvert. I get it. But an introvert doesn't mean that you'd, you're not in community ever. An introvert, what introvert means is that, you know, you can be in community, like I am on Sunday morning, and then I go and I don't want to be with anybody for a couple of hours. That's what an introvert means. <laughs> you know, you got to get your energy back by by kind of having some space. So my wife has asked me, she quit asking me for, after a while, you know, hey, what do you want to do on Sunday afternoon? I want to look at a wall. That's all. I've been with these people. And I, I've got to regroup. But God, we I can't use that as an excuse to not reach out. So there's sometimes where maybe you're, you're like, man, I, I don't meet people real well. But what I would say is just move that needle just a little bit and step across the aisle here, maybe after church today, and reach out your hand and say, hey, I'm Steve. Or I mean, if that's not you, don't say I'm Steve, but you know what I'm saying. (laughs) And say, hey, you know, I'm kind of new at this, but and people will get it. That's okay. Maybe if you're maybe if you're like, man, I've, I've been here for a while, and you, Steve's up there ranting and raving about small groups. I'm just going to move. I'm going to try it out, man. I feel so nervous about it. That's okay. I get that. I get I, I get how difficult that is. I really do. I, I've told you before. I'll never forget the time when we first started 360. I've been in the ministry for years and years and years. I never ask anybody to go to coffee with me. Isn't that weird? So when we first started 360, I invited a guy said to Taco Bell. I was so nervous about it. Over, I, I, I was driving over in my mind. Um, we were different, you know. I come. I, I, he, he was like a, a a biker with this really cool ponytail, and it was really. I just thought, man, this guy's really cool, and I, I don't know if I got anything cool to say, you know. So I'm trying to rehearse in my mind. Can you can you believe this? Like I in ministry for years and years, I'm like I didn't know how to sit down and have a cup of coffee with somebody. And so we got there, and so I I'm like, I had this opening line ready. 
And so we sat down, like, you know, we're eating, and, and my opening line was, hey, how's your taco? <laughs> and then after that, I was out of material. And so, so it went kind of like this. Hey, how's your taco? Good. And then it was, how's your taco? Is it still good? I mean, I ain't got, I've got nothing. And then we moved from there to like something deeper, like how was your taco after? In other words, I, I was really awkward with it. And the guy was cool. He understood. He could see it. But after a while, it's gotten so much easier. And so now I say, how's your taco? How's your salad? I mean, I've got a little rub dry belt out here. What I'm saying to you, I'm talking to you as a pastor. I get it. I know that's a challenge for, for some of your wiring. I totally get that. But look, we're either going to row or we're not. We're either going to say there's a predicament that the church, the people of the world looking in the church and like, I'm not sure you guys are really getting along all that well. It's not as deep. I got, I got, I go to the bars and have a deeper relationship. And so we, we must move our needle wherever you are. And I say that in a very shepherding way. If you've never said anything to anybody today, reach out to the aisle this afternoon after church. You know what was really cool last week? I'm so off script right now, but who cares? I, I, last week, I saw something amazingly tribal in this church. I had somewhere to go last week at 2 o'clock. It was a really important event, Kung Fu Panda 3. That's <laughs> being honest with you. And so I'm kind of like, hey, I told my wife, I say, let's get out, you know, make sure we scoot out so we can grab some lunch and get the kids ready and all that. And, and, uh, we're cheapskates. We don't, you know, we bring our own popcorn and, and all that stuff. So we got to get all that ready. So we're going to the movie and I couldn't get out of here. Not because a few of you are hanging around. I mean, past like a half an hour, there were 40 or 50 people here. Did you see that? It was so, it, you know what, you know what it was? I'll tell you what it was. It looked like God. It looked like God. That was cool. See, if I'm on the outside looking at him, I'm like, what's up with you guys? I thought church was over half an hour ago. Yeah, we're being tribal. We're being communal. We're being re- relational. We're all rowing in the boat. So, you know, hang around today. Maybe you've been, maybe you're in a small group, but you've never had a cup of coffee with anybody in your small group. That happens a lot. I'm in a group. Hey, you asked me to get in a group. Go have some coffee with somebody. Go have a taco. I'll give you some lines. How's your taco? He said, man, man, I've been in a group. I've been to coffee. But man, that discipleship thing is freaking me out. So you get it. Wherever you are, allow God to move the needle. Just one decimal. Just one decimal. Because this is what God is asking us to do. Okay, I must move on. Sometimes when there's this opposition, we, we, we like, uh, you know, we can run from it. But sometimes if you're in a tribal mindset, like, like man, we've got an enemy. We got to move ahead. We got to press ahead. We got to make this thing happen. And so what, this is exactly what happened. You know, the story of Nehemiah, if you, if, if you understand the story, there were two guys that were just brutal. They were menacing. They were bullies, Sanballat and Tobias, and they started building a wall and then they started getting nervous. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they, they, they kept harassing, uh, Nehemiah and his tribe when they're trying to build this, this, uh, this wall. And they could have easily said, man, we're out of here, but watch what happens. Nehemiah chapter four, verse six. Nehemiah says, so we rebuilt the wall after these guys were harassing us and threatening us. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people work with all their heart. You see, the opposition didn't cause them to to run like in the Super Bowl. They're coming in knowing they're going to be opposed, man. They're amped up because there's opposition. Nehemiah says, we prayed to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet this threat. 
We have a threat in this country. I don't know if you've noticed it. That the reputation of the church is, is weakening and weakening and weakening. They're like, man, we've got to do something about it. Don't run from it. Run towards it and say, man, I'm going to do my part. You may think just reaching right across the aisles like nothing. It is something. Honestly, it's a beginning. That's what it is. Then in Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 14, watch. Nehemiah says, I looked over things over. I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of these guys, these bullies. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And then he personalizes the opposition. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your homes, wives. Fight for your homes. Fight for your church. Fight for your community. Fight for the gospel. Fight for your God. It's personal. It is our opposer that is against us. It's not conceptual. It's not mythological. It's real. Our enemy is real. And he is our enemy. And it makes a difference. And if you're lacking that zeal of like, man, I really want to dig in. Just think, you can make a difference in this battle. Tecumseh. This is how he went down at the end of his life in the history books. Tecumseh, this tribal chief. He vowed to leave his body on the battlefield. And he did die with a dream with his united Native American tribe. Would to God that there were more of those in the church that would dive with all they have into the end zone for Jesus. Finally, there's this shared win at the end of the story of Nehemiah. They finished the real wall And when you've won and you've fought hard for something, you're not just going to walk away from it. You're going to like, man, we got a party. We got to celebrate. Now remember, remember, we started with a predicament. And the predicament, it was that God's name was in disgrace and God's people were in disgrace. Reputation had gone out in the world that they had their reputation and God's reputation had been diminished. Watch what happens when people get in a tribal mindset. Watch this. They built the wall. And Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 12, I had the leaders of Judah go up on the top of the wall. He said, see, we've built this thing and we want the world to know that God is in charge and we're going to stand on top of the thing we built. And he said, I also assigned two worship bands to give thanks. They had choirs back then. They were massive. See, so I'm going to put, I'm going to put the leaders on the wall. I'm going to have these massive worship bands, these choirs back then. I'm going to have these massive worship bands to give thanks. And on that day, the people offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. And watch, the women and the children also rejoiced. I mean, they had three years, three year olds out there spiking the ball saying, look what God did. Look what God's tribe did. Can you imagine? You get the picture. And watch. Here's the solution to the whole thing. The whole thing. And the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard around the world. See, I believe, I'm a firm believer, or else I wouldn't get up here and shout every weekend and say, man, I'm a firm believer that the church of God in America can change. I believe that God's reputation can be built. I think we can build the impossible. I really do. But it takes one person grabbing an oar with all they got and rowing with full passion. Would you be that person? Because in a room like this, we think, well, I'm just a little pixel. 
But that pixel, man, makes a huge difference. This is how tribes are built. It started with one man, and it and it grew from one to three, and three to six, and six to twelve, and twelve to twenty-four, and twenty-four to forty-eight, forty-eight to ninety-six, and that's all the math I got. It grew bigger than that. <laughs> Do you ever hear music when you read the Bible? You know what's coming, don't you? There's sometimes where I'm thinking, man, you just hear the music swelling. And so when you read Nehemiah chapter 3, it's one of those chapters where it's kind of boring, to be honest with you, just a lot of names. But there's this tribal phrase in there, and the tribal phrase is next to him. I want you to, so we're going to read, uh, I'm just going to read for you, I'm going to narrate the story of Nehemiah with an NFL passion with a little NFL music, if you'll allow me to do so. You ready? Here we go. So here's the story of Nehemiah. One man illuminated the predicament, set forth a clear purpose, faced down the opposition, and ultimately led his tribe to build the impossible. And here's how they built it. Merimoth repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulam made the repairs. And next to him, Zadok also made repairs. And next to him, repairs were made by men from Gibeon. And Hattush made repairs next to them. And next to him, the repairs were made by the Levites. Beside them, Hashabiah carried out repairs for his district. And next to him, the repairs were made by their countrymen. And next to them, Ezar repaired another section. And next to him, Baruch zealously repaired another section. And next to him, Merimoth, the next, and the repairs next to him were made by the priest from the surrounding region. And next to them, Benjamin Hashub, and next to them, Azariah, and next to him, Bunai, and next to him, Badiah, and next to him, the man of the men of Tekoa, and next to them, Zadok, and next to him, Shemamiah, and next to him, Hananiah, and Hanun, and next to them, Meshulam, and next to them, Malkajah. And they experienced a shared win. You feel the tribalness there? Is there anybody that can say, like, I want to be that? <laughs> Newcomers are like, this is really strange. <laughs> Let me close with a picture. Let me close with a picture. We began with this picture. Man, that looks cool, doesn't it? I mean, the cool suits, the cool boats, the cool hats. The, just the tribal feel. You look at this and think, man, I want to be that. Okay, let me step on just a couple more toes because I only stepped on three. You got two more left on one foot. Listen. Listen carefully. It's tempting to want to celebrate the finished wall. But you got to pick up a brick. It's tempting to want this ending. But I found this other picture from 1910, and it looks like that. You see, you don't, unless you do that, if we go to the previous picture, we can't get to that. See, this is the showroom. The other picture is the workroom. It was hard work for me to reach across the aisle to say, hey, I want to. Get to know you. My name is Steve. I know that may be difficult for some of you. I get that. 
Would you do that if that's where you're at? Man, do that. If you're like, man, I'm not quite solid in this community. I want to dig down deeper. Then do that. Whatever that is, wherever God is moving you, man, take an oar in your hand and row. Because listen, we have a fierce enemy. We're in a predicament. There's a clear purpose. And when we share the win on the other side of this life, it will be beyond your imagination. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for even allowing us the privilege to be in this game. Thank you, God, for allowing us to to be part of your tribe called the church. And I fully understand, God, as we all most likely do, that, that at times, God, our zeal to work for you, our zeal, God, to keep your reputation high can sometimes sag. Our lives are so full. They're busy. They're just chock full of stuff, God. I pray, Father, that you would allow us to, our minds to change, to realize that we, there is a predicament, that the, the reputation of Jesus Christ in this country is fading. And that should, that should do something inside of us, inside of our hearts and minds. And if it doesn't, God, perhaps we start with an apology to you. Perhaps we start, God, by asking you to stir us, to convict us. God, that we must have a clear purpose. We must have uh, understand, God, that we must aim for something. These are not concepts we're talking about, God. They're real things. They're real hands to shake here. They're real smiles to be given. They're real conversations to be had. They're real communities to join. They're real disciples to disciple, God. Father, there, there is, there, there's no doubt that we, we have resistance in this world from a very real enemy, God. And I pray that you would allow our minds to not grow weary, not to grow lazy. And Father, there will be a shared win. God, help us to keep in mind at that moment when we stand before you and we'll celebrate with you. I pray for this church, God, for 360. Pray for those who are shy. I pray, God, for those who feel like they don't matter. I pray you'll change their mind through the power of the Holy Spirit that they do matter. That you've used so many people in the Bible that felt like they didn't matter to do great things. I pray, Father, for those who have not gotten in, in small groups. I pray that you'll move them, even though that may be scary for them. I pray for those in small groups, God, that they'll move toward one-to-one to have coffee. And for those that have done that, that they'll move to discipleship. And for those who have been disciples, that they'll become disciple-makers, God. Whatever, wherever people are today in this church, Father, I pray you'll move them. And I'll end as I began this prayer, God. It is a privilege. I pray for us, this tribe, help us never to lose sight of the oar in our hand and to pull with everything we have in the name of Jesus. Amen.